0: According to John Cross of the Mirror, Arsenal are expected to up their interest and move forward with things for Brentford's Ivan Tony. They're going to test Brentford's resolve in January. That's what we're being told. We'll also discuss Arsenal's midfield problems, the latest on Declan Rice's injury, and we'll continue to reflect on what was a disappointing North London derby. We're live on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, which is part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. You might be able to see the headset is back, the famous headset that is falling apart, that is on its knees, that is on his way out has been uh, brought back out of retirement because the two sets that I've purchased are not good enough. I've sent them both back. Um, trying desperately to find this one again just a version of it that isn't falling apart and on its last legs but anyway um i hope you're all good i hope you are all well uh, good to see uh, so many of you with us hacker says wow lighting yeah i'm in the office i'm not paying for the electricity here just kidding um good to see lots of you in the live chat as always thank you for joining me uh, on this edition of the show we're going to be reflecting on john cross's report uh, which dropped A little while before we went live, actually, I didn't have this on my initial agenda. Um, And then I saw this on Twitter just as sort of I was getting prepared to come onto the show. So I thought we'd put that in. Um, It's the most up to date story. So I figured we'd discuss it. Uh, We'll also discuss uh, more uh, of um, yesterday's um, disappointing performance, you know, underwhelming performance. I don't know. There's lots and lots. I beg your pardon, uh, to continue to reflect on from that game against Spurs in the North London Derby. Uh, we'll also talk about the criticism that Aaron Ramsdale's faced um, for applauding his teammate. It seems wild, doesn't it? That's because it is bloody wild. Um, look, we've got lots and lots to get into. We'll also bring you the latest on Declan Rice's injury as well. And of course, he was substituted at halftime and Mikel Arteta revealed after the game that he felt some discomfort in his back and that he had asked to come off. I don't know if Mikel seemed a little bit surprised or taken back by that. Um, I mean, if the guy's in discomfort, the guy's in discomfort, like he's got to let you know as a player and he's got to tell you that there is a problem so that you can take the right action, the appropriate action. Yes, I think that the game kind of got away from us yesterday when we lost Declan Rice. In that, you know, you didn't feel anywhere near as confident that we'd be able to either see out the lead that we got from the penalty or go on and get more goals. You know, it felt like our structure uh, had taken a big hit by losing him, of course, and his physicality, power, presence in the midfield, what that does is it compensates for a lack of those things, you know, when it comes to others. So, um, yeah, lots and lots um, to get into, lots and lots uh, to chat about, and we'll do that right here on this episode of the podcast. Let me say... A few hellos. Uh, we've got um, Hacker who says, Your Twitter banter needs work, Harry. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> Terry uh, says, Four days ago, Kai Havertz was the answer and Odegaard's world class, but now we've got midfield problems. What's the story? Uh, I, I was waiting for you to pipe up. Um, you always do. Um, I, I didn't say that Kai Havertz was. The world's best midfielder or anything like that. What I said was that he's playing a very, very specific role, a role that Mikel Arteta um, believes that he can do. And I think that if we're going to be critical of the lack of output from our left sided eight or left-sided midfield player, whatever you want to label Kai Havertz as in this system, in this setup, I think we need to look at the manager rather than the individual. Um, We'll come on to that uh, in a bit. Martin Odegaard still is world-class as far as I'm concerned. What? Because he had a bit of a quiet game yesterday. All of a sudden, he's not world-class as if Cristiano Ronaldo never had a quiet game. Um, Lionel Messi was never under par. Um, Neymar was never under par. All players have off days. It's part of football. And so to, to suggest or or to expect me to change my opinion on how good a footballer Martin Odegaard is overall based on yesterday's game, when I don't think we had the structure to control the game, where I don't think we had um, enough maturity about us and where I thought, you know, we as a team were seriously, seriously lacking to, to expect me to pin that on Martin Odegaard and backtrack on my opinion of him. I think is crazy. Um, Robert Segal says, evening, Harry, I've omitted good <laughs> to reflect on that very poor performance yesterday from players and manager alike, I agree with you. And we'll get into uh, a little bit of that later on in the show. But let's start off then uh, with this new story uh, from the Mirrors' John Cross, who says, Arsenal are stepping up their interest in Ivan Tony ahead of the January transfer window. Ghana's boss, Mikel Arteta, is eyeing a move for the Brentford striker to bolster Arsenal's title challenge. The bees are willing to sell, but will demand at least £60 million for the centre forward, who has returned to training after serving half of his eight-month ban for breaching strict FA betting rules. I beg your pardon. Tony, 27, will be able to play again in January after completing the suspension, and Arsenal have got him firmly in their sights. Mirror Sport revealed last week that Brentford have got a price in their minds and will not sell unless any club meets their demands. Arteta wants to bring a proven goal scorer to his squad. He wants to add a physical presence to his attack and Ivan Tony fits that bill having scored 20 goals in the top flight last season. Arsenal are long-time admirers and might have pushed to sign him in the summer had Tony not been banned. So, interesting stuff there. Um, we kind of got a hint, didn't we, um, about a week ago that there was an interest. We got a hint that Arsenal could be tempted to go into the market and try uh, to prize Ivan Tony away, and I said to you guys that I wasn't entirely sure about that, and I'm still not at this stage. If Ivan Tony comes in and scores a ton of goals, nobody's going to care. Um, nobody's going to, you know, care about sort of maybe question marks around obviously the ban, but also his personality, which I think is probably a, a bigger issue for me personally than than the ban. Um, he, he made a mistake. He's going to. He, he's been punished for it. Um, and, uh, and it is what it is, you know, water under the bridge. Like, I, I don't know how, like, I, I don't think it's fair to dwell on something like that. Um, it is what it is. He served the punishment. We move on from that, but there are question marks in my mind about his character. I think as a striker, he's really good. Um, he's an excellent penalty taker. He is someone who scored, as I say, 20 goals in the premier league last season, And someone that I really, really believe could add something to our attack that we don't currently have. At the moment, when we want to go that little bit longer, that little bit more direct, you know, it it, it isn't really there as an option. We've seen Kai Havertz try to do that uh, in the Community Shield, for example, where he did it, I thought, relatively well. But he hasn't really played at centre-forward other than moving there um, in-game under certain circumstances. So clearly, Mikel Arteta doesn't see him uh, as a solution when Arsenal want to go that little bit longer or as a centre-forward, full stop. Um, Oslo Guna says, do you think Arteta can handle him as a personality? I think we had this discussion on an episode last week and one of the things I said was, if the overall culture is right and you get one player who's just on the edge in terms of his attitude and and some of his... I don't want it to sound like I'm killing Ivan Tony, but if you've got someone who there's question marks over, but the culture, generally speaking, is really good, then I think it's more likely that they'll become a part of that culture than they're a disruptor. Um, The problem was that back in the day, we didn't have enough of those players who were um, sort of living and breathing the right culture. And there were too many disruptors, which led to disharmony and I guess a lack of competitive nature within the group. So do I think Arteta can handle him? Yeah, I I do. I do. I've seen a lot of talk today about Arsenal needing a top-level striker. And this has obviously come off the back of Gabi Jesus missing what was a glorious opportunity. And the more I watch it, the more it frustrates me. And I actually listened back this morning to the podcast that we did last night, just on my way into work, because I, I remember after I finished recording it, sort of going into the house and thinking, was I a little bit harsh on some players? Was I a little bit overreactionary? as can happen? Um when, you know, you're at a game where you're emotionally charged and things don't go your way. But actually, upon reflection, I stand by every single thing I said. Um, and, and often I, I always say to you guys that the next day I will normally think about things differently. Someone joked in the comments yesterday that I've gone for, I would have gone from being honest yesterday to, to being all sort of up Arsenal's backsides, I think was the term that someone used uh, today. And as I say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to concede on anything I said because I think that actually listening back, I still feel the same way some 24 hours later. So that gives me confidence that, you know, I'm not saying my opinions are always right, but that I I was saying it from the right place and it wasn't just based on pure emotion. So, yeah, um, we move forward. Um, But yeah, um, on the Ivan Tony thing, again, long way to go until the January window. Thought it was worth highlighting, but it's not something I'm going to dwell on too much. When I talked yesterday about what went wrong for Arsenal, one of the the big things for me was that midfield imbalance. I I showed you guys um, sort of some screenshots around the the second Spurs goal. And, you know, I I talked about the defensive positioning at that point and the fact that we were playing high-risk football, um, you know, a minute after we'd taken the lead, which in my opinion, and I still stick by that opinion, didn't need to happen. But it was clear that the midfield balance was off. And even with Declan Rice on the pitch, And if you go back to, and I want to show you guys this, because um, for some reason, when I mentioned this to somebody yesterday, they tried saying that I'd never said this in the past. So I've come here with receipts, um, even though the receipts are all online. But basically, when we were talking about the start of the season and, and what our best 11 was, we did a special episode, myself and Dan Potts, and we broke down what we believed was Arsenal's best 11 at the time. And, you know, one of the big question marks was what happens in midfield? because we've got Partey, obviously not available at this moment in time, but we've got him, we've got Declan Rice. Um, you know, we'd gone out and spent £65 million pounds on Kai Havertz and it became pretty apparent pretty early on that actually he was not coming in to play as a forward, he was coming in to play as a midfielder. We've got Fabio Vieira, we, who we thought might get a few more opportunities this season, which has been the case. There was Emil Smith-Rowe who had fought his way um, back to fitness at the back end of last season and who we thought would be more involved at this time around. And there were big questions around what our best midfield looked like. Now for me, and this is what I said, and this is what I brought up, this was the best Arsenal team available to Mikel Arteta at the start of the season. And this remains the case as far as I'm concerned. His best 11 when everybody's fit and available is Ramsdale in goal, White at right back, Saliba Gabriel at centre-back, Zinchenko on the left, Partey, Rice and Odegaard in midfield with Saka and Martinelli flanking Gabriel Jesus. My opinion on that has not changed. What I'm now starting to doubt and starting to ask, ask questions of is have we not seen that due to fitness issues? So for example, when Zinchenko was out, we saw Thomas Partey being taken out of the midfield and played at right back. Why? Because I think that Mikel Arteta wanted to create that overload in midfield that he's able to create with Zinchenko, worried that we wouldn't be able to do it and have that extra body um, because he didn't have another defender comfortable enough to do what Zinchenko does in midfield. And so he figured a solution, a short-term solution, was to put Thomas Partey at right back and have him going into the midfield. Now, obviously, Zinchenko's injury, I think at that point, was part of the reason why Partey was playing where he was playing. But as time goes on, obviously Partey's out injured now. But with Zinchenko being back in the team, we're still seeing a Havertz or a Vieira playing on the left side of our midfield, which for me imbalances us. It imbalances us. You know, uh, uh, the stick I used to get for defending Granit Xhaka and for for suggesting that he was a really, really important part of the team and, and all the rest of it was mad. And now I think people are starting to see it. The minute you play against half-decent opposition who have that work rate in midfield, who have that quality in midfield, in the likes of Bissouma and Madison as Spurs did yesterday, Sarr as well, I thought, um, was really dominant sort of physically and and in terms of his mobility and all the rest of it. The minute you come up against a side that can do that, you can ill afford to have a Havertz or a Vieira in your midfield. Now, where I've taken issue with people sort of taking aim at Kai Havertz is... I don't think this is all on him as an individual. And I think that Mikel Arteta has put him in a position where he's asking him to do three or four different roles, as we highlighted in that recent episode of the podcast. Off the back of that, he is needing time to adapt. It's not really happened yet. And people are getting on his back. But the question needs to be asked, not of Kai Havertz, but of Mikel Arteta. Because you have bought someone who's played at centre-forward for the last two years, and you're now playing him in midfield and you're scratching your head as to why it's not really working at this moment in time. You look at Fabio Vieira and he comes in the team and he looks more natural in terms of being a midfield player, but he's lightweight. He's incredibly lightweight. And to expect him to play in a sort of blood and thunder derby like that and expect him to be up for the physical challenge, is just, it's it's wild because he's not that player. Now, I appreciate that if Partey's fit, maybe Mikel Arteta goes with the midfield I've suggested. But the more I watch us play this season, the more I think he's obsessed with this idea of having more control, more dominance. And the the less I think he's thinking about what we leave behind us when we play that way. And, you know, I want to think that when Partey and Rice are both available, that that's the midfield we'll revert to, especially in the big games. You know, all right, you play at home to Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, maybe you do it differently. I want to believe that he's going to go back to Rice, Partey and Odegaard, which is something that we did see to be fair in the community shield. But I'm not sure that he will, because I think he is obsessed with this idea of having his left eight join in with the forward line in the way that Martin Odegaard does at times. And that's my worry. And that's my concern. Has he unbalanced our midfield? And that is partly because of the personnel um, that he brought in essentially to replace Granit Xhaka. Um, You know, but he can tweak that. He can change that. And he hasn't wanted to. There's been games where, in my opinion, he could have played Jorginho and Rice. And listen, Jorginho got absolutely hammered last night for the mistake that he made. And, you know, and rightly so. It was a terrible, terrible mistake. But, you know, like the issue is, again, that we're just one or two injuries away from being in a position where our midfield is a fraction of the same quality and, and nowhere near the same level that we know it should be at and could be at when those guys are available. Look, Declan Rice, from what we hear, um, just to kind of segue into that, is is likely to be fit for the game against Bournemouth. That's according to the reports that we're reading. Um, there's no real concern about um, whatever issue it is that he picked up. Um, but yeah, like it's just it's really really frustrating isn't it because I think that yes you can point to injuries and yes you can look at the impact that they have and of course they have some impact every club every manager everybody that's played football will tell you that but I think tactically we've we've started to try and over complicate things and I've been saying that from the start of the season that I felt that the midfield balance with Havertz in it or Vieira in it or even Smith Rowe in it um would lack that bit of balance and and um as I say, you can get away with it in certain fixtures. You can't get away with it in games like that though. And you won't continue to get away with it um, in games like that. I think that for me, as I keep saying, I think that the criticism that Havertz receives is unfair. And I think that when I broke down his role um, on an episode that we did last week, it even opened my eyes to how many different jobs he's been asked to do. And it gave me the willingness to show him a bit more patience and stuff. But if it's still not working further down the line, um, then you need to look up. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Arteta, not Havertz, is the point that I'm trying to make here. Because Arteta has decided that upon losing Granit Xhaka, we needed a slight change of direction with regards to that role, that we needed to approach it differently, that the priority was having somebody that could impact the game um, further forward as opposed to having somebody that provided balance. That's on Mikel Arteta to take that decision. He's taken that decision and so far it hasn't worked. And there's no denying that. Fingers crossed, though, um, things will improve uh, in that sense. Or... When Rice returns, we see a difference in in the way that Mikel Arteta approaches games. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping for. Anyway, a um, couple of other bits that I wanted to touch on on this episode. Uh, so we've discussed the story from the Mirror. Ivan Tony uh, said to be someone that Arsenal planning to target in January. We've discussed that midfield imbalance that keeps causing us problems. Um, particularly when we come up against the better sides. Uh, I wanted to discuss um, Jamie Carragher's criticism of Aaron Ramsdale. What a load of nonsense that was. And I was delighted to see Aaron Ramsdale's dad uh, go back at Jamie Carragher on Twitter. I mean, what a load of rubbish. Um, Criticising the guy for applauding a save made by David Raya. The narrative has been... For the past two weeks, that Ramsdale's unhappy, that he's going to throw his toys out of the pram, that he feels betrayed, that he can't believe it, that a pair of them don't get on, that there's an edge there and all the rest of it. The guy puts his arms up to clap and applaud what was a brilliant save from his teammate, the guy that he trains with every single day, etc., etc. And what do people do? What do people like Jamie Carragher try and do? They try and spin it as if it was an act. Yeah, I'm sure Aaron Ramsdale knew that the cameras were on him, but he probably did it and made it so obvious that he was doing it, i.e. raising his arms above his head, because he wanted to silence that narrative, because he feels like there's an injustice in the way that that's all being reported and the way that's all being uh, sort of conveyed by the media. And he wanted to make a point of it. If he didn't do that, if he sat there with a face like a slapped ass, everybody would have sat there and said, look at Aaron Ramsdale sulking on the bench, not even applauding his teammate for making a wonderful save. The guy couldn't possibly win. And I think the criticism from Jamie Carrigan is ridiculous. He's trying to be funny, but Jamie, you're not funny, mate. You're not funny at all. Anyway, um, I go back to some of the points that I made yesterday that I've had sort of time to think about and and, and mull over, um, i.e. was Raya any better in terms of his distribution? yesterday? certainly not. Um, Certainly not. I don't think that he was... Um I don't think that I saw anything from David Rye yesterday, which was the first game he was tested in, to suggest that he is miles ahead of Aaron Ramsdale, as some people have suggested. Equally, I'm not going to write him off based on what we saw yesterday, but he looked panicked every time he received the ball back to his feet. And um and to me it just it, it just didn't work. Um you know, in terms of this plan to bring him in and improve the distribution. Some people said after Everton and PSV that he brought a calmness to the back line. And I have to agree on the evidence of those two fixtures that he did, but he certainly didn't do that yesterday, um, which was obviously um, a, a bit of a concern. Uh, what else? What else did I sort of, was I really harsh about? I was harsh about Pukai Saka giving it the old dart celebration, mocking James Madison. I saw Madison's response after our pod where he said, uh, yeah, he was too busy throwing darts when I was trying it, when I was turning him for the first goal. Fair play to Madison because he's got you there, Bukayo. Like, for me, there, there was no need for that stuff. I've since seen Eddie Nketiah's challenge um, a lot more closer on Vicario, and I think that Tottenham have a case there. Uh, really, really bad challenge. Um, fortunately, there was no damage done from Vicario's point of view, and I think that's why Eddie Enketia escaped sort of further punishment. But you couldn't have had many complaints if he was shown a card for that challenge. Um, you know, the uh, or shown a red card, I should say, for that challenge, because it was pretty wild, pretty out of control. I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to block the ball and all the rest of it. And I don't, for a second, think that Eddie and Ketty was trying to harm the goalkeeper. But, you know, when you go in like that, it, it can be dangerous, can't it? Um, it, can, it can be dangerous. For the record, I'm not saying it's a red card. I'm saying if a red card was shown, don't think we would have been able to kind of condemn it as a, an awful, um, ridiculous decision. So, yeah, um, upon reflection, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to kind of motivate myself again today after that disappointment yesterday. I felt it all day. Um, I've sort of been dragging myself uh, around this morning and this afternoon and, and sort of this evening now as well. I think that Arteta had a lot of questions to answer for me after that game. Um, I'm really curious to see if things are going to change as we move forward. Um, If he himself recognises that glaring imbalance that I see, and I'm sure lots of others see in the midfield. Um, And yeah, he's, he's kind of making a rod for his own back at the moment because he had a formula that worked so well last season. And I'm not saying that you should never want to evolve and you should never try and evolve, but he took a really big decision in in changing a key component in our midfield. Not in terms of, like, this is not about Kai Havertz. Like, people need to, this is the bit that gets under my skin. Forget Kai Havertz for a minute. Forget who it is. The, the point here is that Mikel Arteta went and got a different profile of player to fill that role, which is a tactical change in itself. And when you make a tactical change like that, it's got to work. It's got to be for the good of the team. It's got to be for the better of the team. And, and I don't think at this moment in time we can say that it has worked in a positive fashion. In fact, it's been the opposite. Now, there were problems defensively for Arsenal at home last season as well. This is not a new thing. This is not an issue that's just, you know, shown its ugly head over the past few weeks since Mikel Arteta upset the apple cart by changing that balance in midfield. There have been problems um, with our defensive structure at home or how vulnerable we leave ourselves and, um, you know, and, uh, and we need to address it. We need to figure out what the issue is. And I think midfield is a big part of it. We also talk a little bit about, or I've heard other people talking about, Arsenal over-celebrating and all of that stuff. And maybe that has an issue. I think sometimes we need to learn to play the game rather than the occasion. And on the one hand, I look at the atmosphere at Emirates Stadium these days, and I think that's bloody great, and it's fantastic, and it's what we want, and it's driven us on. And without that, we probably wouldn't have got some of the dramatic late winners and equalizers that we've got over the last couple of years. But at the same time, you need to be able to manage that. That's where experience comes in. That's where the, the senior heads need to come in and really sort of earn their crust, if you like. And You know, you get that goal to go 2-1 up. You've lost your key midfield player. You know it's going to be a bit of a struggle. What should you do? For me, you need to keep Tottenham quiet for the next 5-10 minutes and weather the storm that is going to come. And if you get over that initial weathering of the storm, then you probably get yourself into a position where you can see the game out and see it out quite comfortably. You know, yesterday it was as if everybody said, after we got the 2-1 goal, let's go for the next one. And that's where the calmness needs to kick in. That goal went in less than a minute after we scored. And for me, um, that's the problem. Uh, Tom says, uh, no, Harry, the point is Arteta chose Havertz when there were so many other good players. It smacks of arrogance for me after all the work we did to get rid of overpaid players, he brings in another one. But you're missing the point, Tom. The people that you would say would be a good fit for that role are obviously not a good fit in Mikel Arteta's eyes because he chose to... to sign someone of a totally different profile. Forget that it's Havertz for a minute. If he had gone and signed Thomas Muller, right, who's a player that plays in that hole between centre-forward and midfield, isn't either really out and out, but has always done his best work in between those two positions, we'd all be on Thomas Muller's back. I'm just using him as an example because he's a player that I thought of straight away that plays in that in-between position. The point is that he went and got someone that plays in that in-between position rather than getting someone who was a more balanced midfielder who would have brought us a similar dynamic to the one that Granit Xhaka did, which, in my opinion, created the most balanced midfield that we'd seen at Arsenal in years. Yet people can have their opinion on Kai Havertz as well, and that's fine. If you don't think he's a good player, that's up to you, no problem. But the reason I get so defensive of Havertz is because all I see, I saw a stat earlier today, right? I saw this stupid graphic going around. It said, Um, goals, zero assists, zero played seven games and they're lauding him 007 because he's got no goals, no assists and he's played seven times. Listen, I I get that people want to have a laugh and I get that people, uh, there are people out there that genuinely didn't want Kai Havertz at the club from the beginning. I get all that. That's fine. But why are we judging him now on a striker's metrics when we can all fucking see that he's not playing as a striker? Sorry, the swearing is not aimed at you, but I just get so wound up when I talk about it. Why are we judging him on strikers' numbers and outputs when he's not that? If Granit Xhaka scored no goals and provided um, no assists um, in seven games, nobody would have bat an eyelid. But essentially, you're asking Kai Havertz um, to play in that midfield position. Okay, he's got more freedom and more license than Granit Xhaka had. Or, Or does he? Or was it just that Granit Xhaka took it upon himself to be that little bit more reserved in comparison to Havertz because of his natural instincts in the game that he's played all his life. Maybe it's that as well, but I just, yeah, like we're judging him like a striker and we all can see that he's not playing as one. And, and and that's, you know, it drives me mad. I, I don't think Kai Havertz has been very good. I said it on the breakdown we did the other day. I said, I'm not saying that he's playing well. I'm just trying to understand and trying to put across what I believe are the roles and responsibilities he's been given by his manager. Um, but, yeah, anyway, look, I'm going to take a really, really short pause. Then I'll take a few of your questions uh, before I sign out. I'm not feeling any better today after yesterday's disappointment, as you could probably tell by my tone. Um, and, uh, yeah, been frustrated by some of the stuff I've been reading today. But, hey, it's to be expected after a disappointing result. Get your questions in the chat. Be with you in just a moment. Welcome back uh to the show um doo-doo-doo. thanks tom by the way for your um comment great comment sparks some great debate love it um and uh great to have you uh in the chat um this terry grant is a bit of a troll in it you know what see you later mate uh what else we got um i saw a couple of questions in here i'm just scrolling back to find them here we go um Halo says, why didn't Arsenal beat Tottenham at home? What is the main reason that Tottenham had better stats away than Arsenal did yesterday? Um, what what type of stats are you talking about? Because I think, you know, often we look at games and we, and we have loads of great stats, but we don't go on and win them. And then you think, well, what was the point in those stats? What I was impressed by with Spurs was possession because not many teams are able to hold that much possession at our ground. So fair play to them for that. Um Attempts at goal uh, as well is not... Well, teams do get attempts at goal against us because we can be quite weak defensively at times and we can expose ourselves based on the way that we want to play. But I think for me, look, Tottenham capitalised on some really poor defending for the first goal and capitalised on a really big mistake for the second goal. We were fortunate as well, um, with um, uh, certainly with our first goal. And I think that for me it was a really low quality game. And that's, I I got a little bit annoyed earlier today when I was in the ninety minute studio because we were talking about the game um, as we do on a Monday. And when I look back at it yesterday, the ball had been in play for like 50 minutes of the 100. So half of the game essentially was stop, start, stop, start. Spurs did a really, really good job of, of making sure that was the case. And that obviously takes away from Arsenal. And I know Adrian Clark made this point on the Totally Football Show this morning as well. Um, So I don't want to take credit for it. Fair play to Adrian. He's brilliant. But, you know, when you think about that, then you start to look at Tottenham's performance through another lens. And actually, what it was, was a very streetwise performance, I thought, from Tottenham Hotspur. Um, And and it showed a different side to Ange Postacoglu because we've all been talking in the build-up about how he approaches this game. You know, is he gonna go for it? Is he not? Is he gonna tweak things? And he insisted publicly that he wouldn't, but I think he did. I think he wanted the game to be stop start. He wanted the game um to be one in which Arsenal were never able to get going and, and get their flow. So yeah, um that's my view on it. Um that's my view on it. I think that you know, they they want they did well to get the point that they did. Um, but it wasn't this pure football from Tottenham. It was a bit of everything um, and that's what was so impressive about their display the fact that it was a rounded performance where they were able to show their good side and play some nice stuff at times but also um, they were able to show that they can dig in a little bit um, and all the rest of it. Um, Faris makes a great point why is Havertz been spoken about after yesterday's game he needs to improve but the slander by our fans is crazy he only came on as a sub because Jorginho had to come on. And, and I don't think Arteta wanted to have Vieira um and uh, and Jorginho in the same midfield due to how lightweight it would be. That was my opinion. And I don't even think Havertz was bad yesterday when he came on, by the way. But the, the big debate for me in the team right now, and it's kind of it feels like it's moved on a little bit from the goalkeeper, although that is still there. But the other big debate is around that midfield balance. And because Havertz has come in and is a part of that. And he's one of the components that looks different to what we had last season. He's going to be the topic of conversation, but I agree that he doesn't deserve slander for coming on at halftime yesterday under difficult circumstances, playing with Jorginho behind him. who doesn't give you that platform that Declan Rice or Partey do to go on and do the work that you want to do. And, uh, and unfortunately I think uh, Kai Havertz is kind of collateral damage to that in a way, but anyway, um, I'm going to take one more and then I'm going to sign out. Um, what have we got in the chat box? Let's have a quick look. Just scrolling through. Do, do, do. I saw one. Um, here we go. Leeds Gunner says, when does ruthlessness to one player become, uh, unreasonable favoritism to another player? Why is Emil Smith row being blanked, but Eddie being given time uh, again and again? I do wonder about that with Emil Smith row. Like I do sometimes sit there and think, has something else gone on? Um, has something else happened behind the scenes? And one of the things that somebody said to me a few months ago, and I don't know if this is true. It's just pure speculation. But one of the things I heard was that Nicola Teta wasn't totally satisfied with, uh, Emil Smith attitude. And, as a result of that, he was unwilling to persist with him and give him opportunities, and he wanted him to show different habits in training. I don't know if that's true because others have reported contradicting things, which is actually he's been really, really good in training and, and is knocking on the door. I don't know. Um, but you do have to wonder whether something's gone on because Emil Smith Rowe, yes, I agree with you you know, probably deserves more opportunities right now than he's getting. And if you think back to when Arteta started to get things together, remember when we lost those three games at the start of the season, and then we went on a pretty good run after that um, and picked up our form. And in the end that year, we obviously narrowly missed out on the top four. Emil Smith-Rowe was a big part of us playing from that left-hand side, scoring goals, creating things. So to not even be seen as an option ahead of Reese Nelson now on that left side is strange. Um you know, then people were making the argument that actually it's because he's now seen as a more central player. But then he doesn't get a look in there either. So I don't really know um, what the issue is with him. Look, I hope he gets an opportunity on Wednesday at Brentford and uh, and we'll take it from there. But um, yeah, ah, a bit more therapy needed after a game I like that one, of course. Um, at the weekend. I will leave you all to it and I will see you tomorrow uh, with some more content. Um, Our members mailbag episode, you know what, we're going to drop it tomorrow because there were some more questions that came in after the North London Derby that I think we should include in it as well. Thank you all so much. I'll see you soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. Happy Monday evening. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.